I think that God's speaking quite clearly this morning already. Um, and it's good because what I've prepared to speak on is very much in line with a lot of the words and things that have been coming through today. So I'm hoping you're going to see the thread here that the, the Spirit is obviously trying to, to reveal to us, weave in us this morning. And I'm hoping that at the end of my message, we'll actually have an opportunity just to spend more time in unity and maybe there'll be more prayer that we'd like for each other. That'd be a beautiful thing. But this morning, I want to start my message by telling you about how when I was 19 years old, I fell in love. Madly in love. Yeah. Um, I was doing a year out from university. I entered a relationship that I'm proud to say I am still in today. Yeah. I hadn't been in a relationship prior to that. With one glance, I realized I would never be the same. I was hooked, line and sinker. This happened when I was about, yeah, I was 19. Um, it was about two years before I met Renee. And at this point, and at this point, you're probably thinking, what gives? How does that work? Well, I'll have to explain. Okay. Actually, no, I heard that. Jesus, no, actually I, was, I, I actually, I was saved when I was about 11. So this happened when I was 19. I'm going to back you up just slightly, and I'll explain how this comes about. So I grew up in a country called Wales. Um, I wasn't born there. I was born in England. Um, but my friends were Welsh. I did love the country. But they always let me know that I was uh, an Englishman in a foreign land growing up. It was abundantly clear to me when I was about 16. Um, I was about 15, 16, and I went to watch my local football team play football. Uh, the football club that was my local team was called Wrexham, if anyone's heard of it. Yes, that Wrexham of Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, that was my local team. And I went to see them um, at the racecourse ground against Wickham Wanderers. They were an English team. So you get the picture, a Welsh team playing an English team. So I stood there in the, uh, the cop end at the race course, and surrounded by Welshmen, and for 90 minutes, I heard things that would make a sailor blush as they screamed abuse at the Englishman for 90 minutes straight. And I realized I could never support this team because they were, oh, they were Welsh and I was English. Some years later, I was living in Bristol, and a friend of mine invited me to the football club he supported, Bristol City. And so I went along with him, and it's a weird ground, because you walk along this road where there's lots of houses, and then there's this gap in the houses. Like, you know those terrace houses you get in the UK, right? They're all in a row, and there's this gap, and you literally, you walk, almost feels like someone's driveway. You walk through, and suddenly as you walk through, it opens out on the other side, and you see the stadium, and you actually see straight ahead of you through a gap, you just see the turf, you see this beautiful, vibrant green just popping out. And as I walked in there, it was like a cauldron. The, the sound of the crowd just boomed. And I realized that was it. I was hooked. I was, it was just a magical moment. I was transfixed. The sound, the sights, the passion, the atmosphere. I knew I could never be the same again. This passion was born for Bristol City. 
After that, every game I could get to, home and away, I went to see Bristol City play. Any chance I got. I even started taking Renee to games. And even she started to understand why it was that I was so passionate and devoted to Bristol City. But I want to tell you about one specific thing that happened about 15 years ago. So 15 years ago, Bristol City, they were playing their games in a league called the Championship. Now, you know you've got the Premier League? That's where you've got all those rubbish teams like Chelsea and Man U and Arsenal. All those like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, they play the pretty football, but then down in the championship is the real football, right? But every year, there's teams that get promoted from the championship to the premiership. And they go the other way, relegated. And they call this, this promotion the most valuable promotion in the world. And specifically, there's one game, the playoff final. The playoff final is the most valuable football game in the world because if you win that playoff final, you go to the premiership and you are made. Big bucks, big exposure, TV. If you lose the playoff final, you stay in the championship. That means one more year of playing other lesser teams. 2008, Bristol City made it to the playoff final. This was the chance for my passion the club I was devoted to, to make it into the premiership. I really, really, really wanted to go to the playoff final at Wembley in London. One problem, limited tickets. And when those tickets came on sale, I was actually at my cousin's wedding. It was kind of awkward. You know, she was walking down the aisle and I was there on my phone going, on the ticket site going, yeah, we need to be quick, need to be quick. Needless to say, by the time I got onto the website, after it crashed like five times, I did not get my tickets. The biggest game in my club's history and I was missing. So a few days later, I was at my desk at work. Now we lived in Oxford by this point, just outside of Oxford. We lived a couple of hours drive from Bristol. It was a Friday afternoon. It was um, a week out from the game, from the big game. And there was an email popped into my inbox. It was from the Bristol City marketing team. And they said that they'd had some tickets returned from some of their corporate allocation. And they said, because you're registered, I was a member of the Bristol City Supporters Trust. Because you're a member of the trust, they said, you have a chance to get one of these tickets or some of these tickets. There's one problem. We want real fans to get them. So we're not selling them online. We're selling them in person at the stadium in Bristol. Tomorrow morning at eight o'clock, first come, first serve. So, what did I do? It was about four o'clock in the evening or the afternoon. I left my wife a, a message, said, honey, I'm not gonna be home tonight. I'm camping outside a stadium. I drove straight home, took an hour off work, drove straight home, ran in the house, grabbed a sleeping bag, grabbed some warm clothes, jumped in the car, drove to Bristol, got to the stadium. The queue was already around the stadium. I took my place in line. It was probably about 7 o'clock at that point in the night. And I camped there for the next 12 hours, 13 hours, until the tickets opened. It was lovely. Spent, didn't sleep a wink. We talked about all the great moments of Bristol City. We, they brought burger vans and hot chocolate. and We had a lucky evening. And in the morning, I got my tickets. I got my tickets, and a week later, I went to Wembley to watch my team in the playoff final. 
which we lost. <laughs> One nil to Hull. A Dean Windass goal. It was a good goal, in fairness. So why did I just tell you that big, long story about my love for Bristol City? I want you to understand that Bristol City captured my heart. In a moment, it captured my heart. And after it captured my heart, I devoted myself to that club. And there came a time when my devotion had to turn into something more than that. It had to turn into an action that I had to do quickly. Something I had to seize hold of. That is what you call zeal. I had zeal for my football club. And I want to talk this morning, just a little bit, about that word zeal. Now, zeal is a word that we don't use a lot in everyday language normally. Um, I don't know what that word is in Afrikaans. I don't know if it's a common word in Afrikaans. But in English, it's not. We don't use the word zeal. It's just, you know, you don't say, oh, I'm, I'm, zeal I'm zealous to go to the shops today. Oh, you know. What movie are you zealous to watch? You know, it's not a general word you use, okay? And because of that, I don't think we really understand it. But you know what? It's in the Bible a lot. The Bible talks about be zealous. Have zeal, zealous, you know, be zeal for Jesus. And so if, if the Bible talks about this word a lot, then shouldn't we understand it? So I'm going to talk about zeal, being zealous, being a zealot this morning, just for a moment. For something that's far more important than, than football, I want to talk about being zealous for the bride of Christ. <clears throat> Romans 12 verse 11 says this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So I want to take us on a quick story. Much in the same way that when I fell in love with Bristol City, it was a story. It started in passion, it went into devotion, and it ended up in action. I want to talk about our Christian walk in those terms as well. Because you know, can you remember what it's like when you were first saved? Do you remember the intensity of passion? That's where I want to start. The intensity of passion. When you were first saved, you saw things in a new light. It was like you experienced something fresh. It was like... How can I've never understood how the world can possibly be like this? This is new arenas opened up to you, new horizons. Suddenly, there was this passion bursting out of you. Everything else faded away, and you gave your heart to that one thing, to Jesus. You understood what Jesus had done for you in your life, and you realized your life could never be the same. He'd given everything, and you were burning to give everything back to him. There was that passion deep within you. King David spoke about how passionate he was for the things of God. And I love this. This is in Psalm 69, 8 to 9. It says this. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children, for zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. 
Do you get the heaviness of what he's saying? He's not saying family doesn't matter. But what he's saying is that everything that went before now fades to nothing compared to the passion that he's found. Something so precious, so beautiful, that nothing is important compared to this. And it consumes him. Passion for, for Jesus. Passion for his house. Even more than that, he's so passionate for Jesus' house that as he says, the insults of those who insult you fall on me. Now get this, if someone insulted your family, you'd be pretty upset. I mean, if I insulted you, you'd be upset. If I insulted your family, you know, if I started saying something about your mom or your dad or your brother or your kid or something, you'd be even more offended Do you realize that when someone insults your brother and sister in Christ, when someone insults the church, you should feel even more passionate and even more actually in a way offended for that person than you do for your own brother or sister? Because the passion for God's house should consume you. And when you're overcome with passion for something... When you take things personally, you have to do something about it. When Jesus went to the temple, you know the story. He went to the temple in the New Testament, and he found that there were money tra- changers and things in the temple that filled up his, his, the God's temple, which was supposed to be a place of worship. It became a place of commerce, of trade, of profit-making. So what did he do? Well, he kind of went boss mode and trashed the place. He just went nuts, trashed it. What did the disciples make of that? The disciples saw Jesus go off on this one. And I wonder because, you know, if you read, there wasn't many times when Jesus kind of like went into that mode. He seems like very considered and gentle and things. And so I kind of think the disciples were there. They must have gone you know, what's going on? Why is Jesus suddenly going and smashing everything up? This is not kind of the way we thought things would happen. John 2.17 says this. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. We have to go all in for God's house. We have to be consumed with passion for each other as we are with our own families. We have to have that intensity of passion. But passion itself is not enough. For many of us, you may experience that initial overwhelming passion when you're saved. That rush of everything. But then you know what happens? Life gets busy. And sometimes that initial passion you have starts to fade. I've seen people who are passionate for God... And yet, things don't always carry on the way they started. I had a good friend many years ago. He was probably, I would say, the most gifted evangelist that I know personally. He was on fire for God. He was a natural drawer of people. People were just attracted to him, and he, he, just, he just oozed Jesus, and he shared Jesus with them all the time. He was so on fire. 
But his personal life was a mess. So much so, eventually his personal life was such a mess that he actually felt like he couldn't be in church and he left church. And I heard stories of him in his brokenness, in places he should never have been, still trying vainly to tell people about Jesus, even though his life was a broken shell of what it should be. See, the problem was, he might have had a passion, passion pouring out of him. What he did not have was the integrity of devotion. The integrity of devotion. We have to let our personal lives stand in scrutiny. We have to be open with ourselves. We have to be open to others. We have to be open with God. And we have to be zealous for that. We have to pursue it. Because you know what? Integrity doesn't come naturally. You don't wake, jump out of bed in the morning and say, today I am going to have an honest, upright life, and everything that comes to my way is going to set me on a, the correct course. That's not the way it goes. You wake up in the morning, and normally what happens is, as soon as you get into traffic, someone cuts you up, and then your integrity is tested. Or you have a client that calls you up and moans about something they've got no reason to moan at, and your integrity is tested. Or your kids wake up and decide they're going to say and demand something entirely unreasonable. Although they think that asking for French toast at 4.30 in the morning is reasonable. Your integrity is tested. 2 Peter 1, 5-7 says this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. It starts with that phrase, make every effort. Make every effort. That's a Greek word that's used for that make every effort. It can be otherwise translated as another word. Zeal. In other words, be zealous to add to your faith these things. It's something you have to pursue. You have to devote yourself to it. So you have to have passion. You have to see that Jesus saved us. That we've been forgiven much. And that just has to overwhelm us. And we have to have devotion and realize that that love that Jesus shows us, Jesus asks us to live a life that's worthy. But then lastly, we need to have immediate action. You see, when I found out that I could get tickets for that playoff final, um, I didn't have a lot of time to plan. I literally, you know, I knew that if I didn't do something straight away, I was going to miss them. If I'd gone home to sleep at home in that night, my nice, warm, cozy bed, and I'd driven to Bristol the following morning, I wouldn't have got tickets. I knew I had to do something. I just went and did it. Zeal requires action. When Jesus was consumed with zeal, for his father's house, when he saw those money changers. You know, I don't see anywhere in the Bible that says, so Jesus went back to Galilee and made a plan. 
He, he devised a strategy of how he was going to approach the moneylenders and have conversations with them. And then finally, he was going to approach them with the possibility of maybe moving the money-changing tables outside the temple. That's not what the Bible says. He acted. He didn't have a brainstorming session. He just went and did it. The word for zeal in Greek actually has a time element to it. Zeal is not something you can say, I'll be zealous for it tomorrow. That's not zeal. Zeal is something you do today. And God's asked you to be zealous. So today is when you get up and do it. It actually means, in Greek, the word actually means, zeal just means make haste to do it. We're filled with passion. For the, for the house of God. We're filled with devotion. We devote ourselves to the Savior that gave everything for us. And then we don't hang around. We don't procrastinate. 1 Corinthians 14.1 talks of how we should do church together. It's a, 1 Corinthians 14, you can read it. It's, it's all about love and it's a, it's a beautiful chapter. But it starts with this. Follow the way of love and maybe sometime you'll get some gifts of the Spirit. No. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Eagerly desire. That means look for them now, so you can serve now, so you can love now. My purpose this morning was just to touch on the meaning of zeal. Simple as that. I talked about my love of Bristol City as an example because I think my love of Bristol City was born in passion. I demonstrated my devotion. And then finally, when I saw something I had to do in order to express my love and devotion, I just acted straight away. This, I feel, is our journey with God. It starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus where that passion of when we're saved, suddenly we're awoken once to something that is bigger than we could ever have expected. Then there's a devotion to Jesus. There's a devotion to the one that saved us. And then Jesus will call us to action. Jesus will ask something of us. Titus 2, 11 to 14 says this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, Eager, eager to do what is good. Not ready to do what is good when the time comes. Eager to do what is good. We get a chance this week to go to 412. Most of us will be there. Those of you who aren't there, I know you're going to be there in spirit with us. We're going to have a chance to hear apostolic teaching, worship with 4,000 other crazy folks. It's going to be amazing. I'm so looking forward to it. 
But don't wait for Saturday to be zealous. Because zeal starts today. Zeal will carry us through the conference and it will carry on afterwards. We get to do this thing together because we are passionate, passionate for the house of God. And our zeal for the house of God should consume us. So what I'm going to ask is this. I was talking to Nardis and I actually said, you know what? I would love us, as this is the, the last Sunday before 412 as a, as a body here in George AM. And then we won't be meeting next week. I said, I would love us just to do something that expresses our passion for Jesus and what he did for us. And our zeal for unity and doing it together. And for me, I don't think there's any more beautiful way to do that than actually take communion together. So actually, that's what we're going to do. So this is the way it's going to work. Can I actually get the worship team up? So long. Is that okay? So what I'm going to ask us to do is this. I know usually when we do communion, we break into little groups and things and pray. I actually just want us all to do this together. So what I'm going to ask is this. Um, if we can, can we get the communion things brought to the front here? Brought to the front. What I'd like us to do is actually, if you are really feeling like, yeah, you want to do this thing. You want to be zealous for the house of God. And it's consuming you. What I'd love us to do, can we all come to the front? We'll take communion together. I'll lead us in communion. We'll take communion together at the front. And then we're going to go straight into just some worship. Can we do that? So come to the front. Just get your, um, your wine and your, your cracker, your grape juice and your cracker. Hold it. Don't take it yet. And just come and take a place at the front here. So there's a table here. Just come and get your juice and your cracker. Then just come and find a place in the front and just hold it and we'll take it together.